Hello, and welcome to G Talking All That Jazz. This podcast is really the testimony of a friendship that spans over four decades. A friendship between two black professional men that began in Harlem in the mid-1970s. As young men, both learning from each other on how to navigate the sometimes formidable and unapologetic streets of Harlem, both here and now, still standing with a wealth of transferable knowledge. As you join G and Jazz on their journey of reflection, listen. Listen closely for the true message about friendship because their trials and tribulations come at a cost. G and Jazz will share their thoughts on a variety of topics, from love and relationships to family and politics, and of course, friendship. Again, welcome to G Talking All That Jazz. Enjoy the journey. Oh, and buckle up. Jazz, what's up, baby? Listen, my friend, it's just another day in the hood, keeping close to the grindstone, making sure these wicked people are not attacking me. Man. The wicked What's ones, good, the wicked the ones. Wicked I'm ones. good, man. So before we start our, our podcast today, bro, let's give the disclaimer, bro. Give your disclaimer. Bong, 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 special service announcement, public service announcement. All the stories you're about to hear are all true. True. Names and dates and events will not be changed. Not changed. If we hurt your little itty bitty feeling because we dropped your name in a story, we are sorry. But we are Beyonce sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great uh, podcast coming to you regarding social injustice. Injustice. I'd like to introduce uh, to most Daryl P. Turpin. I want to give a, a quick bio on him so you know who you're getting today. Um, Daryl P. Turpin is currently a co-principal for social injustice firm, the Pinwheel Group. He's the principal investigator of clinical research with young black men in the criminal and juvenile justice system. Formerly, he was the director of the city of Louisville, Kentucky, Department of Public Health and Wellness, Men's Health Initiative. His work included oversight of the African-American Male Empowerment Network. He is the immediate past chair of the Thurgood Matt Marshall Action Coalition, addressing inequalities in the criminal justice system across the country. As a consultant, Mr. Turbin has worked with the Native American Alliance Foundation and provided technical assistance to the tribal nations across the United States. Mr. Turbin also serves as a faculty member of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals and the National Drug Court Institute, faculty member of the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges, the Kentucky School of Alcohol and Drug Studies, National Black Addition, Addic Addictions Institute, and the Treating People of Color Conference. He serves as a consultant to American University National Treatment Alternatives to Street Crimes, Center for Substance Abuse and Treatment, Center for Substance Abuse Prevention, and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Mr. Turbin holds a bachelor's degree in social work as well as a master's degree in public administration from Kentucky State University. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Darrow P. Turbin. And the crowd goes wild. Crazy! Mr. Turbin, man, welcome to our show, man. 
Um, on behalf of G Talk and all that jazz, man, we want to welcome you to our show. Um, we've been trying to get you on for a while, man. Me and Jazz been talking about having you on. Uh, he's told me so many good things about you, man. I just cannot wait to uh, dive in and start asking you some questions about what you're currently doing now. And, um, you know, just give us a brief overview. I know I, I said a lot in your bio, but let's talk about you, man. Hey, man. First of all, I just want to say, man, uh, big, big ups to you, brothers, doing this. Uh, I think the voice of black men in America um, with the history and the stories that you guys have um, coming from where you come from to talking about where you are today, that voice is not being heard in America. And the fact that you all are doing this is uh, amazing. And I just want to thank you all for uh, doing this, man. So uh, I'm honored and privileged to be here with you this day. Uh, this what is this? This afternoon? This this morning? Afternoon. Uh, afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> glad, to, glad to be with you all this afternoon, man. It's an honor and a privilege. Okay. And, and Jazz, tell me a little bit, man. How'd you, how'd you meet Mr. Turpin? So, uh, the, the, which version? Which which version do you want? It's a couple the of version. The clean version. I can write a check too, Dal. <laughs> Dal and I met, we worked together for a company called the MyTech Corporation in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. So Dal Focus was, you know, what you read his background was around um, criminal justice, social justice, so his expertise. So the MyTech Corporation is just a, uh, a group of experts in the areas of substance abuse treatment and substance abuse um, prevention. And that was his areas ex of expertise was around um, criminal justice and um, drug court and things like that. My, I was more focused on, on men's health um, and health disparities. So that's how we met. We actually became office mates because originally he was someone else's office mate. We became office mates. So here's the real story. We almost got into a fight in the office. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the dirty now. Let's get to the real dirty. <laughs> and so when this dude stood up, he's like six five. I'm like, yo, wait a second. I think I picked the wrong fight right now, right? And so I was like, yo, you have to smooth this over. So like the next day, the next day, I think, or the next week, I said, yo, let's go to lunch. And we went to lunch and that was it, man. And the rest is history that every, you know, he traveled back and forth between uh, Louisville to Gary. You said Louis, Louisville. I mean, they don't yeah. call it, you know, they don't call no, it. No, no, no. It's, it's Louisville. Say, say, say it right again. Say it right. Louisville. That's right, my brother. That's, That's right. right. All right, my Louisville. bad. It's right. my New York accent. I'm sorry, my brother. That's right. my New York accent. <laughs> so, Accent. And so the rest is history. After that, man, we became partners in crime, man. And I learned so much from him, man, and uh, about the you know the work that he does. And we just fed off each other, man. And it was it was like absolutely a great experience, man. And it turned to a friendship, man. And, yeah. and nice. He's actually, and he's actually the only Q Omega man <laughs> that I like. Like, you know what, I, yo, you always say that too. You always say that, yo. Like yo, D, I heard about you, man, before I even met you, man. You know, you know it's, not that. That many, it's not that many alphas I like either, man. I mean, <laughs> so, so Martin, DT. Luther, Martin Luther the King and this guy, you know what I'm saying? That's, one. That's about it. That's, That's about it. it. So, DT, <laughs> let me ask you, man what 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 does what does social justice in the realm of the climate 
that we are in at this pivotal moment in, in history with all of the things that are happening. It's so much, man. It's so complicated. A it's, a, it's a lot. It's not a black or white. It is so three-dimensional, man, four-dimensional. Tell me what you, you, your definition of, of social justice is right now. Yeah, well, that's, that's a real deep question to me because I live in Louisville, Louisville mm -hmm. Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, you know, as you know, the Breonna Taylor case is, mm -hmm. is live and it's really yeah. happening. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of emotion. So there's a lot of what social, and, uh, social justice is about that is very emotional. Because mm -hmm. um, because we have a, a long history of social injustice appearing here with Black folks for over 400 years, 401 years that we've been in this country. The social injustice uh, is so emotional and is so deeply ingrained in the fiber of who we are as a people. So, so the Breonna Taylor case um, is, is just an emotional. When, when that ruling came where they didn't press charges, for example, against these uh, officers that murdered her in the middle of the night, it was, it was the social justice piece of you know organizing and all this other stuff, and I'll get more into that in a second. But the emotion, it was almost like black folk just needed a minute to grieve um, about that because of the history and the injustices that have occurred here uh, locally, even not just nationally, but locally here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it, just, it, it was just so it was just so deep. It, it just hurt the core of who we are as a people. And <clears throat> what's been a blessing is that uh, across the nation. Uh, that that emotion and that grieving has been shared with so many people, man. I, I get so many phone calls from across the country just just hitting me up, saying, hey, man, you all right? You know, I, I'm so sorry to hear about what's going on in Louisville. So so there's that piece. There's that emotional, right. painful piece. But, <clears throat> but if you want to know, in my opinion, um, what social justice really is, I think we have to go deeper past the emotion, which is difficult. Uh, once we get past the emotion, we have to understand what are the root causes of this. So we have to start looking, peeling the onion back a little more, looking at uh, social injustices, uh, what the root causes of what some of those are. Um, if, 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 for example, if we've got, um, like for example, we, uh, you, we were just talking before we started uh, the issue with the, the rise of uh, the murder rate in our community with our young black men. Um, from a social justice perspective, we have to peel that onion back and, and think about what are, what are the root causes of that? And you have to start looking at social determinants that include things like um, poor education, uh, inadequate housing. Um, you have to start looking at things like um, uh, uh, poverty, uh, systemic racism and all these other social determinants that sort of drive what, and you have to ask that question, why are young black men killing each other in the first place? So you just can't say, hey, um, uh, personal responsibility, they just need to stop shooting each other. Well, yeah, that's true, but mm -hmm. it has to be coupled with a much more deep analysis and going into what the root causes are and what the social determinants and how they impact uh, behavior. Um, start understanding things like respect, for example, like respect is such a big issue with young black men, you know, 
Um, there, there, there's um, a respect scale that Dr. Joy DeGruy did who wrote the book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, that talked about how there has to be respect from the friends, uh, has to be respect from family, has to respect from institutions and uh, uh, authority figures. And when there's a lack of respect, not only just day-to-day lack of respect and how that's displayed in so many ways, whether it's over-policing, whether it's uh, poor education, uh, but it's also a lack of respect uh, that is shown that has been shown historically as well. We have a long history where young black men have not been respected. Uh, the demographic. Let me ask you a question on that. How yeah. what role does the black family play in that? with the respect and social justice. Can you talk about how the, the family ties into that? How can, the, you know, about the a family life of a black man or a black woman and well, social justice? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, Gary, we, we, we hinge on personal responsibility and systemic causes. Mm-hmm. Certainly the family, we need to do better, man. Let's just say that. Let's just mm-hmm. throw that off the table. Black folk need to do better. We need to make better choices. We need to uh, stop killing each other. We need to educate ourselves. I mean, there's certainly some personal responsibility to have and family is a big part of that. But there are, if you look at, if you peel that onion back, mm-hmm. there has been a history of the destroying of the black family that has been relentlessly pervasive since slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, uh, especially with some of the policies and many of these social determinants are generated by policies. When you start looking at the 60s, um, when um, uh, AFDC and other social uh, programs came into play, how those programs sort of reinforced making sure that the black male was removed from the house. Mm-hmm. That was a policy. It had, it had um, you know, um, a positive, maybe overreaching uh, purpose but the but the root of what was uh, the 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 effect and the residual effect that that program had on the black family was amazing. And then you look at policies like removing skills out of schools. Then you look at policies that the industries in neighborhoods. Like when I was coming out of high school, you didn't need to go to college to make it necessary. Right, you could get a job in. In the hood, there were jobs. There were factory jobs. There were other jobs that were you didn't trade need jobs that you learned in high school, mm-hmm. right? Because you came out of high school with a skill. Yeah, you could go to, you could go to work. Well, they removed the skill. Um, they removed the jobs, and then, and um, so those were policies that were implemented. The next thing that happened to destroy the black family was. Um, was to immediately when they remove the jobs and the skills and they put crack cocaine, which I've heard you all tell that story about how Harlem became yep. uh, so devastated uh, by the crack cocaine era. That Those were policies mm-hmm. that were uh, sort of o- uh, overlaid with government policies that sort of impacted our neighborhood and black males and tearing up of the black family. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I mean, lastly, the, the policy that came with the war on drugs, that destroyed the black family. Well, you totally removed the black male out of the house, put him in incarceration. And then once when he was released from incarceration, he came where he was a second-class citizen, where he could be legally discriminated against. 
could not vote, couldn't get uh, certain jobs, couldn't access education, couldn't live in public housing, for example. These kind of policies uh, have been detrimental to our black family. So we can blame the black family and say, yeah, black family need me to do this. You all need to be more responsible. Yeah, but we also have to look at the systemic uh, attacks that have been placed on black families that have been I don't, you know, uh, designed. I don't. I didn't want to say that, but I yeah, I want to say it. I'm gonna say it for you. So, yeah, designed. but, but so, it's so, been systematically designed to destroy the black the family. black family. So, so uh, with us understanding that, right? With us understanding that there is there is a, a purpose behind it, and the purpose is not to the benefit, but to the detriment of our community, right? What? Why do it? Why do we always figure this stuff out? hindsight why is it always uh, um that we that we get it we get it after it has impacted us negatively why are we never in the moment for i give an example for this the reason why i'm asking this question right so when you look at the current the trump administration and how they're trying to um, that's y'all boy, right? Yeah, he's from New York. That's y'all boy, right? Um, we, we don't claim him now. First and oh, okay. foremost, I knew who he was before he ran for president. Oh, that's what I thought. And oh, it right. starts, I, it starts, it begins, I knew who he was, right? So in any event, um, for example, he wants to, if you're receiving federal funding or if you um, support like the 1619 project, he's, he's going to cut off funding, right? And he's also want to take out, he wants to take out um, sensitivity training and, and race theory concepts within federal agencies, mm -hmm. right? We know what that is about. And we know um, how that um, gives, it gives minorities a voice, right? What, what, what can we do? What can we do to kind of head this thing off at the path so that we won't be having another hindsight, um, retrospective perspective on it after we have been negatively impacted by it. Well, one of the things that black folk, um, the, one of the biggest okie doke moves that have been done on the mentality of black communities across the country is the power of the vote. Um, we, we don't utilize our power in many cases. And, and there's a reason for that, right? There's a whole, systemic historical reason why black folk tend to say, F it, I ain't voting, it doesn't, my vote doesn't matter. Because historically, there's a connection when black folk couldn't vote. And when they tried to vote, they were actually killed and, and lynched uh, because of that, right? So there's a historical reason for that. But, but, but one, of the, one of the problems in, with, with black folk is we don't utilize the power that we have. We have economic power, for example, um, the black economy, for example, we don't use that to our advantage to support black businesses, to support um, to support uh, uh, black owned. If we if we kept our money uh, in the black community, how powerful we could be, uh, a force that we could be. We we are probably one of the largest economies in the world, just in our community. Because we consume a lot. Black folks mm -hmm. consume a lot, right? Mm -hmm. We don't save and invest we are consumers yeah right? we don't build and make anything we consume 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 right so that's one of the powers that we don't utilize another one is the power to vote i mean if you think about it why are there so many uh conservative 
um, white Republicans in the Southern states where there is some states have like a third of the population of the vote of the voting population is black, like South Carolina. Why does a Lindsey Graham keep winning over and over and over again? And he doesn't supply, uh, su support black causes or interests in the black community. Well, that's because the, the third voting population um, of South Carolina, for example, and it's not just South Carolina, several states, Georgia, um, Mississippi, uh, we just don't utilize that power that we have. So um, there's, there's, that's an okie doke that's been played on us. Um, that's, that's one of the residual effects of slavery. Uh, you become passive, you become um, uh, almost to the point where it feels like I'm, I'm not empowered enough to feel like I have any power at all, so why bother? Right. So I got a question for you, Daryl. If you can implement any kind of program to like help, you know, build our black communities up or educate our black community, make us, you know, instead of being consumers for us to, you know, to be more, you know, of investors, what kind of program would you want or what you want to put in place to see like a, a social change in our black communities? What would you say what we need to do first? Well, first of all, we have to realize the power of white supremacy and how it has permeated every institution. Uh, so if you're talking about program, you're going to have to go to almost every, and how white supremacy has, has basically, uh, uh, has a stronghold in every major institution we're involved with, whether it's education, whether it's accumulation of wealth, whether it's the criminal justice system. I mean, so... I think I think the big ones are criminal justice because of course that's a lot of work that I do. Um, I think another big one, the biggest one that we don't talk about is lack of accumulation of wealth. You know, it was Marcus Garvey that said that the root of racism is in economics. And while we um, are marching uh, and I hear in these streets for social justice, um, and we go home and we broke and our feet are hurting and we still broke and we're still getting our neighborhoods gentrified and we're still um, in, a, in, a, in a financial state. Integration, desegregation or whatever occurred where they integrated everything except the money. And we were able to move in, in white neighborhoods and shop in white neighborhoods and go to white schools, but the money, right? They allowed, allowed us to spend money in their in their institutions of of uh, of, uh, of, of uh, retail and things like that, but uh, and but the money never integrated where we were able to use our economic power to support and build our communities because uh, our money was then spent in their institutions and in their neighborhoods. So, so you look at every institution, uh, Gary. It's really complex. You can even look at religion. Okay? Yeah. You can even look at how religion and the whole, don't get me started on the whole white Jesus concept and how that mentality has affected our minds uh, and enslaved us, um, that, that the institution as well. So every institution, white supremacy has permeated. So you can look at programs and those are good. And, and I have to give my program a shout out, which is called HEAT, um, which is, it stands for Habilitation Empowerment Accountability Therapy. 
three different models, but our, our model that's been around the longest is the one that was developed for black men in the criminal justice system or who have some substance use disorder and possibly even some mental health uh, comorbidity issues uh, that are involved in the criminal justice system. It's a cognitive-based intervention um, to get them to uh, address the issues of the mind, um, change their thinking, and hopefully create um, and empower them to change their behavior. Uh, it's very culturally responsive, uh, and it's also trauma-informed. So, mm. so those are those. There's things like that that could help. Um, but the but the bottom line is, in every we got to address this in every institution. We we've got to figure out why the wealth gap is so wide with Black folks in America. We so, got to understand the education gap um, of why our young Black children are not performing at an optimal level in, uh, in these schools. So, so it's, 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 it's several fronts that we have to look at, but it's because white supremacy is, permeates every institution that our people are involved in. Go ahead, Jazz. I'm sorry. So, so no, no. So I, I just wanted to to kind of kind of piggyback a little bit on Gary's question with how do we address these things? So now with the the the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement that's happening now, and although their issues are more around police brutality and things like that, do is 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 this movement? Do you think this movement will will make a change not only when it comes to criminal justice, just but to the overall issues that we face in terms of social justice. Social justice, as you said, and when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to um, incarceration, you know, it, it's very complex. What, what, what this, do you think that this movement is gonna make a difference? Because going back, taking a step back, at one time the black church was played an integral role in terms of civil rights and pushing forward the agenda for for um, minorities, um, specifically African Americans, do you think that this Black Lives Matter will be inclusive inclusive enough to impact our entire community on on some level? Well, <clears throat> well, that's a that's a tricky question. Yeah, because um, I, I love the phrase Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that phrase. Uh, I don't necessarily ascribe and support the organization mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. I, I think they do good work. Uh, there are some things that some doctrine and ideology that they support and believe in. I don't necessarily. And I'm not going to go into what those are because I'm not going to uh, put my mouth on a Black organization that's out here doing some good work. Right. So, uh, but from an ideological perspective, I don't necessarily support or agree with all of what their what their aim and, and focus is. But mm -hmm. I love the phrase and how Black Lives Matter and how that phrase has been elevated, especially as of late. Um, so I don't think I think they have a piece and they do work and we can support uh, them to some degree in the work that they do, but they're just a piece of this. The, the, it's not it's not inclusive of all the issues, and I don't think they were actually intended to be that way. So right. that's not a that's not a criticism of them. They 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 came during a time with with police brutality, 
to address those very important issues. Um, and it picked up some momentum as of late and, um, and, and bless them for, for what they do. Uh, and I don't think they were actually intended to be all encompassing of all of our issues, right? Let's go back to the black church. While the black church um, was, and that, that's, that was because the black church maybe still is and was then the only institution that we had total control of. We had total control of that institution. Thereby, we were able to choose the focus, the direction, and the objectives that were needed to be accomplished from, um, from the social justice or the civil rights perspective, right? Uh, but we got to remember that the black church, um, the black church, all black churches didn't support Martin Luther the King. <laughs> there were some churches who were afraid of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay? and wrote about they, it. They were afraid and, of him. And and many churches. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was <clears throat> it was really the power of the younger youth that supported uh, many of those organizing efforts. Now, many of the leaders did come from churches and they had that oratorial um, way of communicating and rallying people together. And, right. You know that, uh, <laughs> and the people <laughs> rallied together, and you know, and and my, but many of those move. But many of those movements were supported by young people. Yeah, you look at the Birmingham uh, rallies and, and marches and demonstrations where those dogs and the fire hoses and, and all those things, those were like high young school people. kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. were kids. Those, those weren't church adult attending uh, church going black folk in the street. Mm, those were young people. So, um, so the black, but what the black church did do that's very important that Black Lives Matter and other organizations of today did that the Black church did then and that the Black church needs to be involved in these movements now is that they were able to see our people have survived in this country 400 years, not because necessarily of advocacy and social justice and organizing and looking at social determinants and all that, it was through Things it was it was intangible things like my grandmother taught me. Don't go by what it looked like. Mm. Saying things like trouble don't last always. Right. It's like go walk by walk by faith, not by what you see. Mm -hmm. And having faith and believe that if I just keep moving forward and have some self determination, if I have hope, if I have faith and keep moving forward, that I believe that my God will get me through. Right. And that was something that our, our folks had that allowed them to survive the trauma. In yes. Spite of what it looked like, in spite of what it felt like, in spite of what, what was occurring all around them, they felt like, well, we just got to keep moving forward as a people. That God will get us through this. That if we stand on what is right, if we stand on what is just, then I have faith and hope that we can't overcome. And those are things that the church gave to us that we as a generation passed after our generation, these youngins out here don't have that. They don't. I was getting ready to say that. I think that's the gap that we that we're experiencing now. I mean, 
you know, we believed in church back in the day. Back in the day, my grandmother, my great grandmother, my mother, they were church going, tired, believing in God. That's the only way we're gonna make it yeah. through. And nowadays, you know, the, these young kids don't have that same type of faith or belief, you know. And I can hear how you talking. You sound like you got a little sermon in you yourself, you know. <laughs> I hear it in you. I mean, I feel you, and I, and I see the God in you, brother. I, swear, I, I can, I can see it's in you. You know, ready to call for the offering. Exactly. You know, I felt, I felt, you know. But you know, I want to get back to something that you mentioned. You mentioned your organization, Heat. I want to know. I want to know, and uh, we can close it out with this. If people want to get involved, if people want to know more about your organization, I want to know how do they get in contact with you? How do they get involved? How do they find out more information regarding uh, uh, what you're doing with HEAT? Yeah, so they can get on our website and look us up, HEAT Time. It's H-E-A-T-T-I-M-E, HEATTime.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, HEAT Time. Um, uh, you can... Um, you know, you can you, you you can call or email at uh, my name is Daryl D A R R Y L at heattime uh, dot com. Uh, you can email me or you can call me five zero two five five eight one two two four. And man, I still answer my phone. Man, people are surprised. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I get calls from across the country. They're like, "Wow, you you answering the phone?" I'm like, yeah, you know. You know, we ain't got that big yet, but yeah, we, are, <laughs> we are, we are, um, we are making a, a, a difference. Uh, we are, our program, <clears throat> our models are being used all across the country. We also have an adolescent model, 13 to 17 year olds, uh, black males. And uh, a couple years ago, uh, we released a women's model for young black women involved in the criminal justice system as well. And uh, we're very excited about that. We got another model hopefully coming out. Uh, prayers and blessings. If we can release another model coming out this spring called Heat for Heroes, which are for veteran black men uh, who are involved in the justice system. So um, that's coming out as well. So our models are being utilized all over, all over the country, Gary. Uh, Linwood, I appreciate you guys allowing Dr. me. Dr. McAllister, do you? We're mind? never going to, I'm never going to call no, him Dr. McAllister. No, I, hey, 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 gee, I had to give it to him. Doctor, you go, D. Dr. <laughs> McAllister. Put some respect <laughs> on the check, Gary. Jazz, I will never call you Dr. Lewis McAllister hey, in your life. I will never call you. Hey, G, 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 he's a bad man. You got Shut your mouth. <laughs> hey, listen, man, this is your job. We want to appreciate, we want to thank you, man. We want to thank you so much for taking the time out, man, uh, for joining our podcast. You know, I think what you're doing is wonderful. Um, um, I will definitely, we will keep you uh, in prayer, brother. I hope that your organization does exactly what it's meant to do, and which is help our black community. You know, I hope that you know the government picks it up. I hope that you become a trailblazer in this in this model, man. I wish you well. I know, Jazz, man. Um, you want to you know finish it off with us? No, appreciate so, it, G. Appreciate it, G. Just in, just in closing again, I just want to reiterate what Gary stated. Dow, man, I'm so happy that you had the time. Man. I know that you're busy. You're traveling crisscrossing all over the country. I just want to thank you for taking the time out for us, man, to kind of drop 
all that knowledge. Um, yes. We, we can probably be on this podcast for the next two hours. To be oh, no doubt. Honest. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I want to thank you, man, for taking this time, spending with me, uh, G and Jazz. And I, I hope and I pray, man, that our listeners uh, would, would definitely pass this on to, to the younger generation so they can get the wealth of wisdom and knowledge that you just you just bestowed on all of us, man. I wish you luck. I love you, my brother. Love and, you too, um, brothers. You know. Yes, sir, man. Hey, yo, we, I'm G. I'm you know, Jazz. that's Jazz. And this is G talking all that Jazz. And we're out. Peace.